0: All right, well, with that, that wraps up our announcements, and I'm going to excuse the student ministries at this time and ask you to stand with us for the reading uh, through Mark 4, Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Good morning. Uh, You might have noticed that what was on the screens might have been different from what is in your Bible. So normally we uh, read and teach from the ESV, but um, I've been kind of going on this journey uh, where I am really frustrated with the ESV because every time we read it out loud, it's just kind of clunky um, and awkward. Uh, I don't know if anybody else feels the same way that I do, but okay, thank you, Kim. Yeah, so... um, What we're going to do, especially for Mark, is we are going to actually be reading from the New Living Translation. And the reason we're going to do that is because Mark is a dynamic book, as I'll talk about in a minute, but we kind of want to capture the story and the dynamics of this story as we're reading through Mark. And so just for this season, we're going to be um, using the NLT, and I'll be referencing ESV as well, but any confusion there, sorry about that, that's why it's happening. Here we go. All right, so uh, if it is your first time joining us... A little awkward welcome to you. Um, so last year, we, we spent the whole year uh, doing what was called the Year of Biblical Literacy. And we just took a deep dive into the story of God and the story of the Bible. And it was just a fantastic year just looking at some of the major themes and characters of Scripture and really getting a, um, you know that 30,000-foot view of what is the Bible really about and now, as we come out of that year, uh, the Lord has put it on our hearts to uh, teach through the Gospel of Mark with an emphasis on discipleship um, and so we are dedicating this year to deepening our discipleship to Jesus um, and as we teach through mark's gospel we 're going to use it as Christians have done for centuries as a template to understand in a deeper way who Jesus is and what it means to be his disciples so Let's talk a bit about Mark and the Gospels in general. Um, And that's what we're going to do this morning, just an intro to Mark's Gospel. So, let's clear up a little confusion. Gospel is a word that means good news. And it's the message of God's kingdom, of his salvation and rescue plan that has been brought about through Jesus Christ. But when we refer to the Gospels, we are actually talking about four early church documents that record for us the story of Jesus and how God has brought about his kingdom, his salvation, and his rescue through Jesus. So in church tradition, the first account of the life of Jesus is attributed to Mark or John Mark. It was probably written sometime in the late 40s or 50s. That's my own personal opinion about that. There's some, you know, um, disagreement about that, but the document itself is actually anonymous, but church tradition tells us it was uh, Mark or John Mark. Now, John Mark would have been a young man during the ministry of Jesus, and it's believed that um, It was the mother of John Mark. It was at her home that was in the first meeting places of the early church in Jerusalem. And it would seem that from a a very young age, uh, John Mark was part of the early Jesus community. Uh, There is possibly a um, little biographical piece of Mark, possibly. Uh, Anybody read that passage where Jesus is in the garden, he's being handed over to the religious leaders by Judas. And in Mark, there's this random story about this young man who's, being, who's wrapped in a garment, and somebody grabs the garment, and he runs away naked. It's so weird, right? Like, what? So many people believe this is possibly Mark being like, by the way, I was there <laughs> in the garden. I'm the naked kid. So maybe, maybe not. Just a funny note. Uh, but Mark, uh, this is not the only Uh, part that Mark plays in church history. Mark was cousin to Barnabas and joined Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary journey and later rejoined Paul at some point for further ministry. You can find that in Colossians 4 and 2 Timothy 4. Um, Because of this, many have read Pauline overtones into the gospel of Mark. That that could be so. Mark was also a companion of the apostle Peter and it is believed uh, that uh, Mark joined Peter in Rome during Peter's last day and, and church tradition says that Mark collected the stories of Jesus particularly from Peter for his gospel. So Mark, though, like the other gospel writers, is not just telling us a bunch of random Jesus stories that are thrown together, or just the stories that he could remember and the details that he could remember, Uh, nor is he writing a complete biography of Jesus' life. Mark has a definite purpose and message that he is seeking to get across, which we'll talk about this morning. Um, A scholar named Jonathan Pennington describes exactly how we should understand what we call the Gospels. Listen to this. He says, our canonical Gospels, that's the Gospels that are canonized, right? Are theological, historical, and erotological, or meaning virtue-forming, biographical narratives that retell the story and proclaim the significance of Jesus Christ who through the power of the Spirit is the restorer of God's reign. So we we have to consider that whenever we're reading any part of the Bible, this is not just history. There is a purpose, there is an an intention behind the writing and the way that they tell the story. It's done a certain way. Eugene Peterson wrote a book years ago and he called it Tell It Slant or we could say in some sense the gospel writers are putting their spin on the story and that's why in you know within even the four gospels we have just a variety of different details it's not because they are disagreeing and you know canceling one another out no they are on purpose doing this telling their story in their way for um What do we say? Theological reasons, of course, historical reasons, but virtue-forming reasons as well. So, let's talk about, then, what is Mark's purpose? What is he trying to do? What is the story that Mark is trying to tell? Well, Mark's purpose is varied, as I would say all the Gospels are. Some consider Mark's Gospel the simplest of all Gospels. Who's heard that before? Mark's Gospel is the simplest of all Gospels, right? Okay, yeah, so this is a common belief in the church. And the the saying kind of goes like this, uh, because it was the original or first gospel to be recorded, Mark made it simple because it was all about getting the message out to the church, to the ends of the earth, right? It's all about proclamation, and this story is fast. Mark uses the word immediately 11 times in the first chapter, and it's not just this clumsy phrase like, 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 or and, 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 right? No, Mark is purposely telling us immediately. This is, Jesus is happening at, the work that Jesus is doing is happening at rapid pace. The Jesus of Mark has no time to consider the lilies of the valley, He is on his way to the cross to bring about salvation. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And so we could see, oh, okay, that makes sense, right? Mark is just trying to give us the details, and it's happening in rapid pace so we can get the message out. Maybe. So it's a gospel with no frills, nothing too extravagant, just the bare-bones information about who Jesus is and what he's done. Mark begins his gospel with these words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it has been pointed out that this is the only time that the author Mark tells us his own opinion and conclusion about the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. For the rest of the book, Mark will put Jesus' words and actions before the reader showing the many different responses to Jesus. And all of this is intended for the reader to contemplate and decide for him or herself who Jesus is. So we could see that, right? The, the, Mark writes a short gospel, just the bare details, because it's about getting the message out. It's about people just deciding who Jesus is. Is he indeed the son of God? Is he Elijah returned? Is he one of the prophets? Who do you say that he is? Now, the idea of answering the question of the identity of Jesus in order to follow him is correct. That is a huge focus of Mark in this gospel. But Mark's way of doing this is anything but simple. Listen to what N.T. Wright says about the gospel of Mark. He says, Mark at first blush... The easiest of the synoptic gospels. Retreats from the advancing interpreter like a rainbow's end. Like that picture. A simple outline, it seems, at first sight. Eight chapters to explain who Jesus is. Eight explaining that he's going to die. An abrupt beginning and a mysterious end granted. But a straightforward account in between. When we reckon thus without the literary critics... The abruptness of the opening and the darkness of the ending, many have said, permeate the whole. Mark is a book of secrets. A book of veils of mysteries. Mark is a book of secrets of veils of mysteries. What N.T. Wright points out here is that unfortunately... We have taken Mark only at face value and therefore missed the mystery and the beauty of Mark's gospel. Now, reading Mark, how many of you guys have read a summary of the gospels? Anybody done that? It's an amazing one by a guy named um, Alfred Edersheim. He lived during the time of Spurgeon. Fantastic stuff. And it's really fascinating to kind of get an understanding of the timeline of Jesus, kind of see all the stories stacked together. In reading Mark, many have turned to Matthew and Luke to fill in the gaps, right? We often do that. Like, Mark, why doesn't Mark tell us the end of the story? Matthew does. Why does Mark do that? Did Mark not know what was happening? To do this, though, is to miss out on Mark's literary genius and purpose. This is what I have concluded studying Mark so far. Mark is a standalone work with a deep purpose of drawing disciples in to read backwards, as it were, or to hear the echoes of the scripture in a way that they would have never been interpreted before, to see Jesus doing what Yahweh had always done and had promised to do, to overthrow Israel's enemies and to lead them out of exile. To see Jesus taking up the story of Israel in a new but profound way to bring it to its destined end. This is what Mark's gospel does. It is veiled in mystery. It's... Oh my gosh, guys, I, I, I'm a nerd, I guess, right? But I'm just like, I have been freaking out about this all week. My dad, who I normally nerd out with about this stuff because he's a pastor as well, he was in Hawaii all week, and so Grace had to be the subject of all my uh, ranting about this. My poor wife. Uh, she tolerates me, though. It's nice. Um, but I've just been so excited about this idea because, you know, for so long, I've, I've just fallen into this. Oh yeah, Mark's gospel, just super simple and, you know, just bare bones you just get through it. no. Wow, Mark is filled with beauty and mystery. And I think the Lord has so much for us as disciples as we're going to study this gospel. So let's go on and and kind of see what I'm talking about here. So who does Mark believe Jesus is? Well, I'm going to summarize just through studying. This is what I believe Mark believes, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. Mark believes that in the person of Jesus, God has become king launching the restoration of Israel and the inauguration of the new creation. Now, as I said a moment ago, modern people and interpreters who are accustomed to finding a clear and explicit text will miss the profound beauty and mystery of Mark's Jesus in this gospel. Because Mark speaks indirectly, in metaphors, parables, and cryptically, through hints and illusions. And it's, it's frustrating, right? We want Mark to put his claims on the table, like John's gospel. Or we want explicit expl- explanations uh, of the scriptural background of the events that are being narrated. Like in Matthew's gospel. Thus fulfilling the scriptures in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled. We want Mark to do this. And we think, then, that Mark's gospel is just a simple and plain or flat account of Jesus Christ. Career, so we've labeled it as such the plain facts gospel, the bare bones gospel. Some scholars have concluded that Mark believed that Jesus was simply a wonder working prophet, never claimed to actually be anyone significant, never claimed to be divine, never actually claimed to be Messiah. We'll see this in the gospel. Whenever people say, You are the Christ, what does Jesus do? Be quiet. The same word that he uses to rebuke demons, Jesus uses to rebuke those who claim who he is. These scholars concluded that what happened was Mark's Jesus never claimed to be Messiah, never claimed to be divine, but over time the myth of Jesus grew. And Matthew and John, who writing probably, you know, maybe into even the second century, they say, it gave time to develop the Jesus myth. And there in John's gospel, of course, we have the divine Jesus. Of course, in Matthew's gospel, we have the messianic Jesus. But Mark didn't believe any of this stuff. So many, because of a cursory reading of Mark's account, have missed the deep Christology and divine mysteries that are held in this book it's funny though because in christian orthodox tradition mark is the saint or herald of the heavenly mystagogy or mystical doctrines that's who he is the herald of the mystical or mysterious doctrines Therefore, the Orthodox Church and now some more insightful scholars have labeled Mark's genre as apocalyptic. Oh, great. Some are thinking, right? Here we go. You know, grasshoppers that are actually helicopters and the end of the world, Antichrist666, Tim LaHaye. You got it. We got those out at the information station for you guys. Read up. Mark's going to be great. Uh, no, we're not talking about some of that weird left-behind type of stuff here, or any kind of Bible code interpretation. Apocalyptic doesn't refer to the wild ways that some interpret the book of Revelation. Biblical apocalyptic writing does many things, but one central function is to use a complex blend of myth and metaphor to tell Israel's history. To bring it into the present and to point forward to the moment when the forces of this world's evil will be routed and the liberation of Israel would finally take place. You think about Daniel. That is apocalyptic literature. Think about parts of Ezekiel, apocalyptic literature. The point of apocalyptic writing is to provide clues for how to interpret history, not to escape from it. And there are moments in this gospel when Mark lifts the veil, as it were, on the identity of Jesus. Think about the baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Think about the transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Think about the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of God. Think about the trial before Caiaphas. I am, and you will see the Son of Man coming in power on the clouds of heaven. You think about the centurion at the foot of the cross. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Mark's whole telling of the story of Jesus is designed to function as apocalyptic. But at all other times... Mark is the proverbial shoe dropper. He drops one shoe while holding the other. He rarely quotes the scripture, and he prefers rather to allude to it and to speak metaphorically, letting the reader seek and search out the mystery of the identity of Jesus or turn a deaf ear in lazy dismissal. Can I just give you an example of what I'm talking about so you just don't think, like, this guy's nuts and just on a rant? Great, thank you. Appreciate that. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. How many of you guys are familiar with Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus walking on the water? We're familiar with that story? Yeah. Famous Bible story. It's a great story. Mark, though, does something different than any other of the gospel writers do. Let me read it for you. So Jesus is on the mountain praying. Disciples are on the sea. A big storm kicks up. Jesus sees the disciples rowing all night, sees, you know, the uh, toil that they've given. So Jesus makes his way to the disciples walking on the water. He comes to them. Verse 48, it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. Okay, he's going to them, right? We can all agree on that. Where's Jesus going on the water? To the disciples. Good, okay. Walking on the sea. It's amazing. Now this next part. He meant to pass them by. What? I've never read a good explanation of this, ever. What in the world? Jesus sees them. He's the one that sent them out there in the first place. He sees them toiling. He decides to make his way to them. So he comes on the waters. The whole point is that they see him walking on the water, right? That's the whole point. But he meant to pass them by. And scholars forever have been like, we have no idea what this means. truly. And some are, you know, trying to trace Mark back to parts of the Old Testament. Maybe it's, you know, these, the, it's the Red Sea crossing. Well, God doesn't walk on the waters in the Red Sea, does he? What happens? He parts the sea, and they go across on dry land. In the Psalms, we have a recording of the Exodus, and it's kind of done, well, it is done, in poetry. And so it's a little more cryptic, and sometimes people have looked at that and said, oh, maybe Mark is referring to the Psalm." That's actually not it either. Turn to Job chapter nine. So you guys probably familiar, maybe even a little bit with the book of Job. Uh, Job is a man who's suffering greatly, um, but he's a righteous man, so he's suffering injustice. And he's having this conversation with his friends about God and God's ways, God's majesty, his power, God's justice and goodness. And so we're in the middle of Job talking about God's power. What he says, starting in verse 7, He is the one who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. There are certain, I think it's the Masoretic text, also adds As on dry land. So, tramples the waves of the sea. It goes on though. Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. Who does great things beyond searching out. And marvelous things beyond number. Verse 11. Behold, he passes me by. And I do not understand him. Mark is in a mysterious way showing us that Jesus is in fact the same God that is revealed in the Old Testament. The one who tramples the sea as though it were dry land. The one who passes Job by. He is inconceivable. He is immeasurable. Job cannot fathom the power, the glory, the majesty of Yahweh. Nor can the disciples truly understand the majesty of Jesus. Behold, he is about to pass them by and they do not understand. Do you understand how Mark is a proverbial shoe dropper? He's not like, thus fulfilling the scripture in Job chapter 9. Hey, by the way, Jesus is God. He doesn't do any of that. And he does it on purpose, again, because he wants the reader to seek. He wants the reader to search out the mystery of the identity of Jesus. Mark is inviting the reader to do what Jesus calls the the disciples to do in chapter 4. To discover the inner secret behind the strange outer story. So I believe that what we read this morning, Mark 4, 25, is the key to unlocking Mark. And it's probably the most key interpretive passage for how we read, how we interpret this gospel. Jesus said this, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Anybody have their lamp under their bed? Or a bowl? No, I didn't think so, right? Instead, you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. What? And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a promise of Jesus. Take heed to what you hear. Consider carefully. Consider. That word is used many times in the New Testament. One time in particular, it's used by the author of Hebrews when he tells us to consider Jesus. He tells us to consider what Jesus went through. But the word to consider means to study intently. To sit and to, to contemplate, to take in at a deep level whatever the subject might be. So Jesus is telling us, consider carefully what we hear. For the measure that we consider, to that same measure it will come back to us. And even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus is saying that his teaching is cryptic on purpose in order to get us to search and seek him. And this is demonstrated in Mark, right? The parable of the sower. Jesus ends by saying, anyone with ears should listen and understand. And then it's just done. There's another, I think it's Matthew's gospel. Maybe it's Luke's. I should have have looked that up. I, I think it's Luke's gospel. Jesus gives the parable of the sower, and then he turns to Peter, which is like, everybody's confused, right? And he turns to Peter, and he's like, let's get out of here. And they ship out, right? And it's like, Jesus doesn't stick around for a Q&A, right? He's being cryptic and aloof on purpose because Jesus wants you to mull it over. Don't dismiss it and write it off. Don't have dishonest doubts. Instead, seek Jesus and more will be revealed to you. Think it over. Consider what he is saying. For those who write Jesus off, his works and his words, they will miss out on the revelation of God and the fulfillment of the kingdom of God and the promises of God which is radical to think about, that the nation, the people that should have known, missed the kingdom of God to a large degree. For those who will, though, doubt their doubts and suspend their judgments and press into Jesus, more will be revealed. One of the motifs of Mark in this gospel is that Mark's Jesus is fulfilling the judgment of God spoken by the prophets, that he would deal with the religious leaders, the shepherds of Israel. He would judge them, and he would restore his people. He would restore his covenant. And we can see that in the teachings of Jesus. And this Mark does, isn't the only one that does this, but the insiders, right? Those who should have known God and recognized his kingdom when he came, the authorities, the religious leaders, the high priest family, the scribes, the religious, the good people will in fact be blinded to the kingdom of God, offended by it and even fight against it, while those who are considered the outsiders, you think about the Galileans, Jesus goes to the Gentiles, blind Bartimaeus is like one of the only people in Mark's gospel who actually understands who Jesus is, the blind guy. He's like, oh, this is who he is. Like, what's what's wrong with everybody? Can't you see? It's so ironic, right? the demon-possessed, and even a Roman centurion, the great outsider and enemy of Israel. They will see and have a revelation of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And Mark uses this insider-outsider motif again and again. But there also seems to be a deeper reason for Mark's cryptic and mysterious Jesus, and I've alluded to it already a little bit. And it still follows this insider-outsider motif. Um, yeah, Rowan Williams, listen to this. This is this is fascinating. Um, so I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus, he'll, he'll do this thing with people that, you know, well, who do people say that I am? Oh, you know, some say this, some say that. But we, you know, we think you're the Christ. Shh, shut up. Shut up. Be quiet. Don't tell anybody. It's like a super weird thing. Like, does Jesus not want people to know who he is? Isn't that like the opposite of the point of the gospel, the good news to get it out? Anyway. Rowan Williams, he says, throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus holds back from revealing who he is, right? Jesus never explicitly says who he is except for one time before the high priest. Because it seems he cannot believe that there are words that will tell the truth about him in the mouths of others. What will be said of Jesus is bound to be untrue or only partially true. That he is the master of all circumstances. That he can heal where he wills. That he is the expectant, triumphant deliverer, the anointed. He says there is a kind of truth which, when it is said, becomes untrue. Now remember, the world that Mark depicts is not a reasonable one. It is full of demons and suffering and abused power. How in such a world... Could there be language in which it could be truly said who Jesus is? We won't leave it there. Richard Hayes replies to this. He says, Mark doesn't leave us in simple silence, though. Mark's answer to this is that there is such language in the stories and symbols of Israel's scripture. If it is misleading or careless of the mystery to say that Jesus is the God of Israel, just as it is not permitted to speak the ineffable name of God figured in the Tetragrammaton, Mark believes there is still a way of narrating who Jesus is by telling stories in which he has the authority to forgive sins, to still storms, to walk on the sea, to feed the scattered sheep as the true shepherd, to make the deaf hear and the mute speak. There is a way to narrate who Jesus is by identifying John the Baptist as the voice in the wilderness who will proclaim Isaiah's gospel message of the end of exile by crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Many have made the mistake, this is not a messianic verse. John the Baptist is preparing the way of Yahweh. It is about the visitation of God, not about the visitation of Messiah. Through the poetics of illusion, Mark gestures toward the astounding truth. Those who have ears to hear will hear. You see why I had a week? So this is what I've been thinking about. Like, we'll talk about this in, in like, dumb people like me terms, right? Like, I do this nerdy stuff, but at the same time, I'm like, what does that actually mean? For me, what does that mean for us? What does that mean just in being a Christian? So I've been thinking about how the church in some ways has been too quick to get people, even true devout followers of Jesus, to make the profession uh, an apologetic or even do evangelism without fully knowing and understanding who Jesus really is. Maybe another way that you could put this is like this. We are satisfied as mature Christians giving Sunday school answers. Anybody ever feel like that? Let me give an analogy here. It's like people saying Bob Dylan is a musician. You say that, I'm going to rip my clothes off like in anger. Like, I'm just like, I got I to gotta say something about that, you know? Like, I, I got something more to say. I got something to add to that. And so here we go, right? I'm going to do that. <laughs> this statement is 100% true, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to give you that. But it doesn't even begin to tell you what kind or caliber of musician and artist Bob is. Yes, I called him Bob. It doesn't tell you about his significant influence on modern rock, folk, or country. It doesn't tell you his influence on civil rights and his protest songs against the Vietnam War. It doesn't tell you how he has shaped modern American history and culture and that he is the number one recordist artist of all time and so much more. To an infinite degree. When we say things like Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is God, these statements of course are a hundred percent true, but in fact, all caps here, they do not even scratch the surface of who Jesus is in all of his fullness. When we do this, we are like, it's like what Job experienced. I had only heard about you before. God, I had a surface understanding, a cursory read, but now my eyes have seen you. I've seen you with my own eyes. We've heard things about Jesus and we think we've got it, all of it. We have no idea what we're talking about and who we are dealing with. But the point isn't to then give up. The point of Mark is to lean in, to shut our mouths and listen, to take in the works and words of Jesus at a deep level, to to hold this incredible mystery close. This is what Mark is inviting the reader, the student to do. A true listening and true contemplation of the identity of Jesus that will cause us to lay our hands on our mouths. Lest we utter something that is actually beneath the majesty of who Jesus truly is. I mean, do you ever feel like that just in times where where you think about your own story and what God has done for you? You think about what Jesus suffered there for us willingly on the cross. You think about how he humbled himself from the courts of heaven to the outcast home of Nazareth. You think, Lord God, there are not words enough to describe your goodness, your humility. I, I just, like, words fail. I, emotions fail to express The glory of Jesus Christ. But this mystery, as it is unveiled, will drive disciples into true and deep worship, adoration, and amazement. As we behold his glory, it will launch us out to make known the great one. I believe in radically countercultural ways. And I've been talking about this for a while, but I think that the church at large, we're too quick to action in some ways of, of thinking that, you know, oh, well, just get out there and live your life rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we've been talking about this a lot in this last year, seeking the face, the presence of God, Being with Jesus, it is absolutely vital to your discipleship. It is absolutely vital towards the growing revelation of God. You think you got it because you read the Gospel of Mark? You don't have it. You think you got it because you read the New Testament? You don't got it. You need to read backwards. You need to read the whole Old Testament and the New Testament again and again and again and again. Guys, I have been a Christian for 20-something odd years now. I have read my Bible religiously I'm not being funny about that like truly I just read it and read it and read it and read it and read it I never stop reading it you know why because it is so far beyond me it is so far beyond me and there will never be a time I don't care how mature I get well I will ever be able to hold the mystery altogether God is so far beyond us in majesty in glory in power And yet, he is accessible. His truths are accessible to us. His wisdom is for the taking. For those who will seek. For those who will listen. For those who will contemplate and consider at a deep level who Jesus is. And how through him God has become king and launched the new creation. without fully immersing ourselves in the mystery, without taking time to really contemplate Mark's portrayal of Jesus, though we will radically miss out on the transformative work of the Holy Spirit as he works the gospel of Mark in our hearts. Because, again, God isn't just after our heads or our intellect. He's after our hearts and our desires. You ever had that feeling of like, well, why should I go to church? I've heard the story before. Like, oh, gospel of John, I've studied that. I'm going to take the next year off. We do that. Why? Because we think it's information and we forget that it is actually about formation. God is after our hearts. He's after our desires. He wants to evoke true worship from our lives to make us true disciples. So here, here, here it is. I'm going to finish now. Here is the challenge of Mark's gospel. Let Mark be a guide... To learn to stand before this mystery in silence. To acknowledge the limitations of our understanding and draw closer. To move further up and further in as we wonder at the mystery of our God. That's Mark's invitation. That's what we've actually called this series, further up, further in. As we lean into Jesus, as we give ear to hear what he is saying, as we give time to contemplate the works of Jesus recorded in the gospel of Mark, more will be revealed further up, further in. We draw closer to Jesus. Mark, a a huge part of Mark's gospel is discipleship. Jesus is the rabbi. He's the teacher. Mark tells us what it means to be disciples. You guys remember what that is? If anyone would follow me, if anyone would be my disciple, my apprentice, let him take up his cross and follow after me. This is a discipleship book, and discipleship is about proximity. It's about moving further up and further in to behold Jesus. And it's only those who will lean in and hold their criticism, suspend their doubts, open themselves up, who will be given the mysteries of the kingdom of God and of the true nature of Mark's Jesus. So as I was thinking through these themes of Mark, and there are many, many more, and trying to encapsulate this idea of mystery and discipleship, the disciple is one who will give weight, consideration, and deep contemplation to the ways and words of Jesus the rabbi, even when, or especially when, baffled or offended The disciple will seek to have eyes to see and ears that hear, and as they do, more will be revealed. So in this year, as we study Mark's gospel, I invite you to come further up and further in to the mystery of how, in the person of Jesus, God has become king. The story, as we said, ending our year of biblical literacy, is almost over. The climax has already taken place. Our God is victorious. The new creation has already been launched. And the king will return very soon. And so we're going to give this next year into contemplating how the kingdom of God is already at work in our midst. And how we join Jesus as his disciples in that kingdom work. So as we close our service and here at refuge we we love to finish by worshiping the lord by taking what we've learned and then you know singing back to god in praise and worship and adoration maybe taking that opportunity to repent and so this morning we have the table of the lord and the table of the lord is an invitation to any and all who will come have a meal with jesus he invites you into his presence. Maybe you have been guilty of, of, of thinking you've got it figured out. You've got Jesus figured out. Okay, yeah, I've got Jesus figured out. I put that in my back pocket, and now, you know, it's about my career. It's about my relationships. It's about all this because I've got that squared away. No, you don't. No, you don't. The true disciple understands Jesus is everything. He's everything. He's everything. And so maybe that's you this morning. There's an opportunity to come to the table, to return back to Jesus, to tell him, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've undercut you. I've overlooked you. I have not considered you. Bring me to your presence. Bring me into fellowship again with you, to know you at that deep level, to understand and be able to, to comprehend and, and even a small way, how you are everything, how all the promises of God are found in you. There's an opportunity for that this morning as we come to the table. There's an opportunity to come home this morning to, as John says in his gospel, to center our lives, to make Jesus our home. And so I invite you to do that as we worship the Lord together. And... If there are some of you this morning who feel like the Lord has given you a word of encouragement for someone, or a prayer, or some insight, I encourage you to go to that individual and share that with them. Our gathering together is not just about uh, the word preach, but it's about the word um, gossiped among one another. It's about sharing, about giving and receiving. It's about being needy and being needed. And so... Please have the freedom, know that you have the freedom to minister to one another during this time. So, let's worship the Lord together.